and I and I like this quote because I think so often and you know so often we operate out of our trauma without realizing it. Well, and so often we operate as if everyone else is totally sane human beings and we right. are not. That's right. Oh, I never I never operate out of that. <laughs> I know people are batshit crazy. <laughs> like that's that's the one thing, that's the one guarantee like that I realize everybody else is pretty batshit crazy and I should never be surprised by anything anyone does. Welcome to episode 251 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brew pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. On today's episode, the Reverends Shannon Weston, Ogan Holder, and yours truly, Brian Burkoff, address and engage what's happening through a theological lens with a good brew in hand. And that good brew might be in your very own Pub Theology Live pint glass. Um, you can snag one of these as a thank you when you become a patron. Head over to patreon.com slash ptlive. You will get more content um, like today's discussion around the world is on fire and we're doomed. Um, and also some more um, um, quirks, of being a, quirks of being a pastor. Um, we love those discussions. So stuff like that. And um, we got plans start at $7 a month and it's a great way to show your support for the show so head over to patreon.com and as always thank you to our current patrons today we'll be discussing jury duty human trauma and the asbury revival female preachers and racist cartoonists we're covering the gamut today all the bases all the bases <laughs> so what are we drinking fellas brian what are you drinking today well uh i have a beer that thankfully is not Five years old uh, or eight <laughs> years old. I can't remember how old those were, but they were way too old. Um, Beer me. What's that? I am drinking a Rapid IPA, and this is brewed by Brewery Vivant. Uh, it is a dry hopped American style IPA with moderate bitterness, aromatic balance, delicious, made with passion in Beer City, USA. I wonder where Beer City is. Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh. Is it? The, is it though? No, it's, it's self-claimed. I don't know if that's. Yeah, no. Early. Arguably, Beer City. It's it's in the yes. top ten. I'll say. Uh-huh. Ooh, that's that's pushing it. Uh, All right, Ogan, what you drinking today? Uh, my usual local brew, uh, Deputy, um, in Barbados. As always, you are limited when you walk into a store to buy beer. You got like four choices, really. Uh, you have Banks Bear. You have Deputy Bear. You might find a Corona. And then you might find uh, Red Strike, which I'm not a fan of. Um, and, you know, but basically this is, yeah, I got, I got to represent though. I got to represent the home crowd. So what you're saying is if you find something else, you got, you should check the the expiration date on it because it's probably been there a while. Seriously, seriously. <laughs> um, also, also after not recording for two weeks, I like really forgot this was happening. I was like, oh shit, what's in the fridge? <laughs> this, was, this was left. Shannon, what do you got? I've got um, three philosophers from Oma Gang oh. Brewery. And it looks like sunshine in a glass. Oh, um, yeah, so that's, I know. A, that's a good brew. So it's a blend of a quadruple ale and Belgian Craig ale with cherries. So this is nice. from our trip to Oma Gang several weeks ago that I was going to have on the show. And then we had to skip the show for a while. Well, I'm impressed you still have one available. There was just one left. So I decided to have it today. And we skipped the show because of our opening question. Yes. Because of our opening question. <laughs> On to today's topics. Wow. Yes. So speaking of, have you ever been summoned to jury duty? And what was that like? And uh, if you've had to serve, would you do it again? Do you have any other questions for me, counselor? Well, no. Sometimes you don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> would you want I'd... to do it again? That okay. Was, that's there how I meant to ask. <laughs> I've never been called to jury duty. I think 
I imagine, I don't know if this is true or not. I imagine it's because for all the time I lived in the US, I only became a citizen like, um, what are we going on five years ago, maybe? Maybe even less than that. Um, but I don't, I'm making up in my head that that one has to be a citizen to serve on a jury. Yes. I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I've been spared so far. Are there um, not juries in Barbados? Does yeah, but not... I didn't live here. Oh, so that's not... right. You left before you were, eight, or like when you were 18. So. Yeah, okay. exactly. I gotcha. Uh, exactly. I don't know that they do a whole jury trials in Barbados. I think it's just like lawyers and judges. judges. I don't think there's a whole jury of your peers situation. Like all your cousins. Exactly. We don't <laughs> right. want... It's a big family meeting. <laughs> we don't want that happening. <laughs> we don't want that happening. I will I will definitely be screwed. Um, so yeah, no, no, no jury duty. I am curious about it. And I think a lot of that is because of the fictionalization of it from TV. Yeah. You, you know. Um, but as I think we all are aware, anything we see on TV that's been fictionalized associated with how the law works is probably not the best model to follow. You may be a cheeky chappy, but you're also an exceptionally noisy one. Yeah. yeah. Shannon, what about you? I, I was called, my number was called um, both times when I lived in New York. Um, no, I'm sorry. One time when I lived in New York, um, my number was called and I was nine months pregnant, like literally about to explode. It was a murder trial of a child um, that was that had lived, had cognitive um, uh, issues and had lived in a group home. And so they didn't want me because I was nine months pregnant and probably wouldn't make it to the end of the trial. They didn't want me because I was a clergy person. And they didn't want me because I had worked in a group home like that and uh, understood too much about the restraints and what you should and shouldn't do. In- so there were multiple levels where they're like, <laughs> you can go. Yeah, they were like, bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> um, but I did make it up to the box and they did ask me questions, you know, okay, yeah, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and people were like, why didn't you get it dismissed? And I was like, because... If they dismiss me, I'm good for five years. If I ask to be dismissed, I'm good for like six months. Yeah, they're gonna so, you're gonna get a summons again. I was like, there's no way they're putting me on this jury. So I'm gonna sit here for another couple of hours and <laughs> get yeah. dismissed for five years. And then when I moved to Baltimore, I got called um in for a jury and it was a it was a suing case and this it, it was they were expecting like millions and we were like no dude you know like he wasn't injured like he was asking for compensation for um the like tiniest tiniest scars and how they messed up his tattoos um (laughs) Mm. yeah no exactly like he wanted like six million dollars and we were like so we literally reimbursed him for like the bandages they bought at cvs (laughs) (laughs) He got like $63 out of this thing. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So So. I've been called twice. Uh, The first time was about 10 years ago when we lived in DC and got put on a trial. And that was a civil suit around a knee surgery. Uh, The person suing didn't feel that it went properly, was suing the surgeon. Um, And then just recently, the last couple of weeks, I've been serving on a jury for a murder trial. Uh, that happened November 2020. So it happened a while ago because of COVID, they had stopped doing jury trials for a while. And then there was a couple other things that backed it up. So this had happened over two years ago. Um, And it was, it was pretty brutal. Uh, Was the death penalty an option? Not in Michigan. That would have impacted my response. I was going to say, I was, I, I was, I was surprised that as a clergy person, you were so low reserved, but yeah death penalty isn't on the table no there's no no death penalty um and so so the person left his wallet next to the body the person who did it and then left the gun in the jeep which he crashed while fleeing the scene so like it was it was the most obvious that he did it you know and he said he did it whether he did it or not he deserves some time for (laughs) just stupidity so there were zero questions that he did it the defense even said we know he did it we're claiming it was self-defense so that's what they they weren't arguing that it happened 
or that all signs pointed to this guy doing it. It's that he perceived he was in a situation where his life felt threatened and it was self-defense. But we and all sorts of shock, and clearly he wasn't thinking straight. Otherwise, why would he have left a clear trail right back to right. him? <laughs> I mean, the awful thing <sighs> is, like it was a friend of his, and they were trying. He was trying to buy meth, and it, and he was mm. trying to rip, rip him off with fake counterfeit bills. Ended up shooting his friend, then drove over him in the vehicle while <laughs> trying to leave, and like dragged the body down the driveway. I mean, it was it was awful. Was this we, before we, or after he took the meth? <laughs> like, Jesus. Yeah. It. it oh was my bad. god. It was. Wow. People, it was bad. people. So we did not have a hard time uh, finding the person uh, guilty. Mm-hmm. No further questions. But yeah. I mean, traumatic to hear the nine one one calls of the wife who was in the house when it happened, and she oh, shots and knows my husband doesn't have a gun. She runs out. Yeah. We had to hear that audio was just you know awful, traumatic. Really, the pictures that come with it, and all the, the photos. Whole, yeah, photos of the of the moment, photos of the autopsy. I mean, it was right. Bad. Do jury members have like is the state gonna provide access to like some counseling for you guys? Cause that is like some serious traumatic shit. They did. They they offered us, yes, yeah, secondhand trauma counseling um as an okay. option for sure. That that's is good. that wow, good to know. That's good. Yeah. Yep. Because it it was pretty bad. And then you can't talk about it. Like that's also like yeah, you're going until through it's this, over. You're hearing all this stuff. You're seeing all this stuff, and you can't talk about it with fellow jury members, your family, or anyone alive. And so you got to mm-hmm. just internalize this for the two weeks that you're see- taking it all in, and then you can finally, you know, once you can deliberate, can talk about it. But something else. I feel there's got to be a better way. <laughs> I mean. It was a good, I had a good experience and I felt like law enforcement did a, did a really good job in this case. And it was very thorough and, you know, the prosecution did an excellent job. I think the defense tried, they didn't, I think they kind of knew they didn't have a great case. Um, but I mean, you got to do what your, what your client wants you to do, even if you, you know, yeah, you don't agree. You gotta, oh, that's rough. So it just like it happened in the county we live in, and that's not even that uncommon. And it just makes you feel tragic for people for whom. Wait, when you say what's what's you said, that's not uncommon. What is not uncommon? Well, there's a big meth problem in our county. So there's a lot Uh, of sales, a lot of meth related crime and the occasional death like this. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. That's why we should all be doing mushrooms, man. Mushrooms (laughs) and weed. People aren't killing each other when they're high on mushrooms and weed. Bro, you need to chill out, man. You need to chill and smoke some weed. Or over a good deputy or IPA. Well, (laughs) no, 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 no. Alcohol. Some crazy shit happens when people drink too much. No, that's that's fair, especially when we're talking about driving 100%. And yes. other, you know, domestic violence, probably. Yes, but. yes. But weed and weed and shrooms, man. No oh, one. But there's not there's not beer deals going wrong usually. Beer deals. <laughs> <laughs> no title. Beer deal gone wrong. <laughs> well, because we've legalized it in such a way that, <laughs> you know, if we had safety protection, then I'm not advocating for legalizing meth. I'm just saying, like, if we had safety protections the way that we have for alcohol, if we have. Mm-hmm. access the way that we have for alcohol you know exactly but anyway yeah no there's, that's not, a whole conversation for sure which which like again maryland's about to have um you know marijuana for recreational use we passed that yes. in the fall and in july it'll go into effect and you know it's gonna it's, be a good summer <laughs> but it but it is i mean it really is but we attached one of the things that which is another conversation for another day, but we, we made sure that with the legalizing of it, we also uncriminalized, you know, the marijuana in the state. And so people that were in prison for this are to be released mm-hmm. for, you know, yes. for having, and, and you have to do both, right. You can't yes. make yes. it legal for recreational use and not let everybody out of prison that you've put there because of recreational use. A hundred percent. Exactly. So 
Anyway. So our next question kind of, I think, is a good good next step here. And thanks to Shannon for this quote. This is from uh, Robert Anton Wilson, who's a author, a psychologist, uh, a self-described agnostic mystic. And he writes, under the primitive and brutal conditions on this planet, every person you meet should be regarded as one of the walking wounded. We have never seen a man or woman not slightly deranged by either anxiety or grief. We have never seen a totally sane human being. And so the idea, I think, is that every person we meet is experiencing trauma of one sort or another. And if we've truly grasped this, how might it change how we treat one another? That tracks. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I'm I'm 100% down with that. And it so it affects everyone yes and not not to racialize it but like you, you there's actual scientific documentation now around how just basically living with the both micro and macro aggressions of racism as a black person in America you can now track how it, it has affected mental and physical health of black folk living in America, regardless of if they have directly been harmed, like by an overt racist action or not, right? Yeah. So we got we got mm-hmm. all of that going on. And what we know is that, you know, all the conditions that really lead to that capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, all the things affects everyone. So we're all in this soup, this, you know, it's the air we breathe. It's not uh, uh, one of the things we often say is that like racism and all this stuff, it isn't the shark in the water. It is the water um, that we're, that we're all in. And yes, it affects us. So yes, we're all walking wounded and even many of us are unaware for ourselves, not aware of the trauma we're walking with in denial of the trauma we're walking with, not seeking uh, to heal these traumas. And then we, basically hurt other people from our wounded selves um but but we we hear this a lot in in more informal ways like you know be be kind to someone you don't know what happened to them an hour ago like you know Mm -hmm. the person that cuts you off in traffic maybe an asshole or maybe a person who you know is rushing to the hospital because his kid's dying like you know so we we hear this we hear this a lot but it's it's hard to remember the moment when we're triggered. That's that's the key right there. Yeah. We, yeah. we 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 remember this well way after the fact. What are the practices we can do to remember this in the moment of being triggered? And that's that's the hard work. And and that's I mean mindfulness practices are good about that, uh, good to help towards that. But it's it's just hard. Yeah, and I don't think you know this this lets people off the hook for taking their trauma and re-traumatizing or or pushing that trauma onto like in fact I think this quote is really helpful in doing the opposite which is to saying oh well other people had it so much worse than me and often when people say that they're shoving down their experience in a way that actually becomes really unhelpful because they never really deal with that pain and those experiences. And if we can get, you know, this is everything Mr. Rogers taught us, right? Like if we can get back to um, understanding that everyone is someone's child or everyone was once, you know, this being created, you know, is whole and capable and, you know, all of these, all this, you know, potential that we had, And then life comes along. I also think this is really helpful because the world has just had one common traumatic experience. We all experienced it in different ways, but I think this has never been more true than it is right now. Maybe not never, but like, you know, there, there are points in history where something, you know. Yeah. I mean, don't you think maybe this since World War II, have we had a global event like this i mean maybe and even then so people so many people were removed from it i mean really like we're i i don't know like this really did affect everyone yeah directly directly um 
even if you pretended that it wasn't existing and went about life, it still affected you in some way or another. That's right. So I just find this to be really a helpful thing to think about right now. And again, not letting people's behaviors off the hook, but to be able to say, hey, okay, like how do we heal together? How do we look at things differently from now on? Um, Do you think we accept this? Right. And do you think that attitude you mentioned of, um, well, don't don't complain because others have it so much worse. I feel like that was something like parents of our generation maybe said a lot. Um, I, I feel like I heard that a lot. Yeah, comparing comparing traumas is never comparing traumas is never helpful. Right, right. And I, I and I think it was intended to come from a good place, like maybe and maybe it was partially defensive, depending on what you were complaining about, like mm-hmm. you know hey, look, others have it way worse than you do, so button it. Well, I think there's a difference between like, hey, eat everything on your plate because there are starving children, you know, in mm-hmm. the wherever, right? In in the city or something. But that like, okay, if me eating the rest of my rice isn't gonna change that kid, some other kid from being hungry, right? Like now we can talk about food waste and things like that and that, that, has a bigger effect but then there's also and i don't know about you guys but like having teenagers there is a hey like let's put this into perspective you know yeah and that's... and there that's a different conversation i think sure sure, sure, sure. Um, and so the messages you know of you don't know how good you have it kind of thing are not helpful but understanding the perspective like okay you're catastrophizing this let's put this into into some perspective like that may be more helpful right yes but if someone has gone through a true catastrophe and you start doing the comparison that is not the way to go yeah well and i heard it over i don't know about you all but i heard it over and over again in the pandemic of people were genuinely struggling and they like wouldn't talk about it cuz hmm. other you know well other people have it so much like other people are sick or other people are i'm like yeah but we can pray for them. We can think about them. We can do what we can for them. And you can talk about what's going on with you. Yeah. Does it lessen your suffering? (laughs) Exactly. Like it doesn't make it any easier to be stuck in your house and, you know, not be able to go visit your mom who's in a care facility and locked in her room. And yeah, that like, yes, she has it worse than we do. I get that. I understand that. But that doesn't make me not being able to go see her any less hard. Right. Anyway. Yeah. And I, and I like this quote because I think so often, and you know, so often we operate out of our trauma without realizing it. Well, and so often we operate as if everyone else is totally sane human beings and we are not. That's right. Oh, I never, I never operate out of that. (laughs) I know people are batshit crazy. (laughs) Like that's, that's the one thing. That's the one guarantee like that I realized everybody else is pretty batshit crazy and i should never be surprised by anything anyone does like yeah because people people will be people man (laughs) well i just i think there's you know Mm. this is that pedestal thing we do or the idolizing of people like oh that person has their shit together and it's like everybody's got something man everybody's got something yes facts i think what this quote i would love to see this quote lead into if we were to all to embrace this to go then like oh so maybe what we should all do as collective beings collective governments is invest more money in free public health services mm-hmm. right mental health mm-hmm. services to to shift to help help people heal um these you know we are walking wounded from our traumas how do we help heal some of these put more services and more resources into that therefore we're not collectively all making more poor decisions that are perpetuating each other's trauma. Or to, um, and some schools do this, but like learn coping mechanisms from a young age. Yes, absolutely. Learn how to handle, like this should be part of school curriculum. All of that, all of that. Things like that of, of, if we're equipping as children, if we're equipping ourselves with how to deal, life is going to be traumatic at times. If we're equipping ourselves with the tools to be able to deal with that, well, now we've got a whole different society. 
please don't bring that socialist woke agenda oh, into Jesus. our public schools. Don't. <laughs> Just want them to do a little yoga. Don't. <laughs> but I, but I, I think you're right, Ogan, when you talk about the practices of mindfulness that can bring us into that place of keeping thoughts like this closer to our consciousness and operate out of that that place of compassion versus reactivity and when we're not implementing these practices like you said the real test is in the moment can you bring this awareness into how you respond and that's part of the challenge so i'm going through this program called positive intelligence um and it's to help strengthen my coaching and help my clients do anyway and one of the one of the sage powers um that he uses is empathize. And one of the things that you're supposed to do in empathy is one of our practices is to have a picture of ourselves as a child. And you do these mindfulness practices around looking at yourself and having real empathy for yourself as a child. And then doing that with other people, people that you're having some sort of conflict or issue with or problem with and trying to, and I was having a really hard time with that. Um, And so I was doing it in the mirror And the, because I was having, like, I had no problem empathizing with my little picture of myself. I had a lot of problem empathizing with the person in the mirror, which is the whole point of the exercise, right? If we can see ourselves as the innocent child, we can see ourselves as, you know, an adult with, that is worthy of empathy and compassion. And I think that some of this, and I think that's why I mentioned this kind of a lot of the empathy that needs a lot of the self-compassion that I need to have is, is projected onto other people because I can't have it for myself. Right. So Mm -hmm. being able to give myself permission to say, there's nobody right. Comparison is the death of joy. Like there's nobody out there. That's totally sane in this. You're doing your best. You're okay you know, we're going to get through this kind of stuff and then to be able to have that for other people as well. So anyway, there's just, there's all kinds of layers to this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, Shannon, you're right. We are not, we're not equipped as children with, with this. And that's where, that's where it has to, that's Mm. where it has to start. Yeah. Um, Because to your point, it's so hard to like take on those skills as an adult. And admit, I will fully admit one of the issues I was having looking at my picture as a child was I started to feel a lot of guilty feelings for feelings that I'm having for a 15 year old in my life that, you know, I was starting to like imagine her picture of a small child and how much more empathy I had for her at five than I do for 15. And Mm -hmm. then I started to go down a, a shame spiral as a mother and i was like okay i need to stop this is not the point of this exercise yeah for sure yeah <laughs> anyway sure. but you get the idea you know for because sure. like part of the reason why we have trouble empathizing with our children is because they're big mirrors to us right yep. and and if we can't have it so i'm like okay i need to work on this self-compassion thing so i can then project that onto my kids but anyway hmm. that was a little therapy for me thanks there you go see it's there working there you go <laughs> So I wanted us to chat about this so-called Asbury revival. Uh, This has been uh, making the rounds. um, (laughs) I know, that's how I feel. (laughs) Earlier this month, or earlier February, um, students gathered at Asbury University for their biweekly chapel service, and they sang, they listened to a sermon, they prayed, and a week later, many of them were still there. There were videos of students singing, weeping, and praying, And so people have asked, you know, how do we know this is a legitimate work of God? It's sort of in the classic idea of a revival. Is it something else? I mean, what's your response to to this if you've looked into it at all? Kids trying to get out of midterms. (laughs) That'd be anything. (laughs) I'm I'm really listen. And do you have a non do you have a non-cynical response? No. Um, I, I, no, I really do. Listen, I'll be the first. I did my share of week long revivals when I was much younger. I did my share of lock-ins. I did my share of all sorts of things. Right. Because for some places, there's still this quantification of faith mm-hmm. as a measure 
of your devotion to God. Right? The longer I do a thing, the stronger my the stronger my faith is. And like that's that is potentially so harmful because it then kind of becomes like a faith pissing. You, you, you lose sight of what it's all about, which is your genuine connection with the divine. And then it becomes all about I'm I I gotta show off how faithful I am. Um so yeah. I mean, that's less cynical, but it's it's just as cynical. <laughs> I like God, this is awful. <laughs> I'm so indifferent to this. <laughs> I just absolutely don't have an opinion. Like I wasn't there. Hmm. I, you know, like mentally i can that and singing is true was truly great and wonderful you know and at the same time like i cared zero percent as it went around the internet like just didn't have any thought or opinion about it i didn't even hear about it till now till reading these questions like, oh my gosh is this thing? can you guys hear me okay yeah, it's a little spotty, but we'll gotcha. Well, my response was similar to yours, Shannon. Like I kept seeing things about it and I was like, I don't, what? Like, who cares? Like, what is that? Like, I honestly don't think, I'm sorry to say this. I'll just be blunt about it. I don't think progressive Christians would have cared about it at all if Nadia Boltz Weber hadn't written about it. I don't think it. Uh, was she even, the one who first showed What did okay. she say about it? I'm not even aware of that. <laughs> um, I glanced at it. I just saw a couple of people posted on my feed of um, just, she was kind of talking about the cynical nature of people's response to it. And then it was just kind of, but there's still something in me that wants to be there and sing those songs with them and do the, you know, and be part of a revival. And, and, and it was like, I I don't have any critique of her writing about it. I just don't think, I think there are, <laughs> this is this is just one of those times where it's like, I have no problem with the person or the person writing about it. I have problems with the followers, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'm, it's, yeah. it's the like people that only were like, oh, this is amazing because she, you know, wrote this thing or whatever. So, yeah. And I, I think, I think you're right that just, being a progressive Christian, it's kind of like the whole idea of revival doesn't even like connect at any level. Like, isn't that what happened in the 1800s uh, when people didn't understand mob mentality? And, you know, like, I don't know. What, I mean, here's what I know. We are desperate for connection. I mean, mm -hmm. we are, we That's are true. desperate for connection. And I think that I'm a person who believes that when there is genuine connection between two people, between 1500 people, like that, that is the spirit of God mm -hmm. and that that is how the spirit of God gets manifest. Now, there is no way that every person in that room in their intentions at every moment of this was pure in every, I mean, that's just we're all human, right? Exactly. At what point does it become performative? <laughs> and and Ooh. and that is a legitimate question. I also will not. Again, I wasn't there. I also will not take away from any college student or you yeah. know adult that walked out of there and felt that they had a moving experience. Like I'm right. not going to tell you what's right or wrong. Um, what my issue is is like I feel like. <laughs> you know, Calvin's going to sit around and try to recreate that there because we need to have one. Well, listen, and at Hope College here in Holland, they just did like a 24 hour like worship thing to see if something would spark. This is now the standard because we can create this kind of thing because yep. we can make the right atmosphere for people. Oh. And like, I don't know that that's how God works. Yeah. Right? I think you know, like, it became a, it became a, a pissing contest. Yeah, now I mean, it's a summoning, right? Now it's now it's like we might as well like, you know, and, get a and, pot and, in the middle and boil things. And right, and the, 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 the is longer. 
And the exactly. And again, that danger is if we can't replicate that, if we can't do that, there's something wrong with us, with us. and our faith. And yeah. no, that's not how any of this works. I mean, listen, how many, how many times have I gone, you know, what I've how many times have I had to do a certain thing in order to find God? Right. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are, there are practices in my life where I feel connected to God. It's almost like plugging something into a wall, right? Singing for one, there's an embodied activity to me that feels like prayer where I feel very connected. Now, does God instantly show up because I start singing? Like, no, I'm tapping into this memory in my cells, in my body, et cetera, et cetera. I, I've had experiences where I was sitting around going like, you know, leading. So being on a mission trip is one thing. Leading youth on a mission trip is a whole other thing. You've got responsibilities and everything else. And I'm sitting in the back of the auditorium, really wanting to go home and, and like, something beautiful happens and you experience that in the room. And, and I'm not going to pretend that something doesn't happen when we all collectively get in a room or, you know, and the spirit can move in that way. So I, I just, but for me on the internet, like, sorry, like, okay, cool right. guys. Nice. But I don't know. Yeah. I, so there was, there was this uh, black writer at Religion News uh, Service, Andre Henry, who was noting, you know, that this is happening at a primarily white Christian college. And if there's a revival among white people, quote unquote, today, when we've seen a revival of fascism and racism among white Christians, like if this is a true movement of God, it better lead to anti-racism and justice and not just personal piety or feeling, quote, more connected to God. No, I, I, like, I, I think we all know how this is going to end. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? Uh, that they will not be those things. <laughs> oh, well, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not going to be the, the yeah. outcome that students are yeah, writing not, about. Uh, yeah, not holding my breath years. on that one. <laughs> I got not you. holding my breath on that one. And again, to, to Shannon's, here's my thing. If, if truly this was... Um, an earnest, authentic, like collective demonstration and and being caught up in in truly a connective spiritual moment where time lost meaning, then why are we caring about it? You know what I'm saying? Like for me, I'm always and and I'm sure people from the outside are reporting and we're all we're all caught up in this because you know, oh look, that sort of thing doesn't happen anymore, or because of the length of time we've attached some sort of like significant meaning to it but but to, to to shannon's point if this was truly an authentic thing this kind of should be a non-story right? right like and this uh, and 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 because you did this for seven days it doesn't mean anything more than the group who did it for five days or two days or 14 days it's like it's like yeah. again the, the or had an hour-long service where somebody was you know felt moved and transformed like exactly there's there's no time in God. Why are why are we why are we creating this huge meaning and significance and weightiness to mm -hmm. to the time span of of this of this thing of this event? Uh, you know. So so yeah. Again, not holding my breath as the any meaningful change coming out of it. Those people had a great time. Good on them. I'm, <laughs> I'm great. Gonna, you know, it is interesting, like a few, several years ago, <sighs> I was talking to a couple of people who, and I was like, you know, we like, let's, let's think about this idea of revival in a progressive form, you know, and uh, what the progressive form looks like is the calls to justice and the act, you know, yeah. being active mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, um, like, whether this is protest, whether this like how do we how do we read scripture in a justice lens? Because that is ultimately what scripture is asking us to do um, over and over again. And and how do we call the best? You know, it's 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 what um, you know Reverend Barber does. Like this, it's how do we how do we as progressive Christians ignite this idea and live it out more faithfully? Um, and there are a lot of people that are like, I am totally in for that. And let's, you know, 
claim back this language of like, like, let's do all these things. That's fine. So again, I don't have a problem with it. It's just, I also am sitting here going, this can't, this shouldn't be, the key in this is not to have a new Billy Graham, right? That's not what we're looking for in life right now. We're looking for connection. If that's what that gave this group of people, I'm like, good. And then let's all seek to find that in our own way and in our own time. Boom. Preacher Shannon out. No, I like that. And I think it's a good analogy to the progressive world where perhaps, you know, showing up to um, to protest, to march, to organize is sort of the progressive version of, of revival in the sense of taking personal ownership for societal, you know, things, societal change that we'd like to see and just realizing I can't just fill out a moveon.org's, you know, survey, I got to put my feet and my body into action. Right. All right. In other news, um, newspapers around the country have dropped the Dilbert comic strip over the uh, over the weekend after the creator of the satirical cartoon went on a racist tirade calling Black Americans a, quote, hate group and suggesting that white people should, quote, get the hell away from them. This came after Scott Adams, the cartoonist behind uh, Dilbert, effectively encouraged segregation in um, a rant that he had on YouTube. And his comments apparently came in response to a poll from the conservative firm Rasmussen, not Rasputin, (laughs) Rasmussen Reports, which said that 53% of Black Americans agreed with the statement, it's okay to be white. (sighs) There's a lot wrong with that whole paragraph. I was gonna say. Um, so so we gotta we gotta go back first to the history of the it's okay to be white thing, because so that that started as a trolling campaign, right? Uh on 4chan, which <laughs> and if somebody can tell me the one good thing that ever comes out of 4chan, right? I'll, I'll eat the bottle this bear just came in. Like <laughs> that, that's just always been a hot mess anyways so it was this trolling campaign that uh that backfired because white supremacists picked it up and ran with it okay Mm. so we got we got that going on and then this dude Mm. who just like i mean he's not even pretending he's not even pretending he's not even trying to rationalize it he's just coming out and saying what he's saying and i will give him the monicum of realization for him also saying he goes, he says what he says. And just like a few seconds later in, in his, in his, uh, you know, he's got his YouTube podcast says, so yes, this means that my career is effect is effectively over that I will no longer make money for my cartoons. Cause he knows people are going to be pulling his cartoons after he says what he says. So he knows so then ca- why say it like, but I'm so committed to racism that I'm willing to sacrifice well, my career over it. No, no. Here's why he's saying it. Because he can afford to sacrifice his career over it. The dude's made the bazillions already, right? So now he's like, I can afford to say all the racist shit that's always been in me because if I don't print another cartoon tomorrow, I am fine. Like, it is the ultimate, like, white privilege move. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so we got that. We got that going on as well. And I'm just like, ah. Look, another white person telling us they're racist. Color Just the name shops. Dilbert always kind of struck me a little. That's- I, I I couldn't tell you one. I mean, I'd heard of the comic strip before this story, but I I like. Oh my god! I, it's funny, like office humor type stuff. Like it's you know it's yeah. it's humorous, but you know. And and it really started to go downhill for him when in his comic strip, he actually introduced a character that basically made fun of, of uh, like a lot of racial justice and trans justice issues. No. And and there were there were they were publications already dropping him. Yeah, um, because of it. Be, so because, this has been because of it, those who were paying attention, right? But now he's out loud. The other reason he's saying these things now is because we are in a climate where there's enough people supporting you publicly for saying that there's enough there's enough people in higher office 
who are supporting you for saying this nonsense. And then also um, railing when you suffer the consequences for saying that nonsense. I was going to say, like, this is going to get him more publicity in an area that he might want to be in yeah yeah he's, he's going to show dilbert's now going to show up in militia monthly publication <laughs> there you go in preppers preppers you know magazine <laughs> um but yeah i mean that's i think that's part of it i mean this is the same type of behavior of people that lean progressive that are like i'm trying to get my book on the band list because every book on the band list sells out and i'm yeah. like oh my god you need to stop <laughs> Like you need to just shut it down right now. Wow. Um, and like, but this is that same behavior on the conservative side. Yeah, yeah, this it is. Like, well, if I get myself banned by the liberal yeah. snowflakes, then I'll be blah, 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 you know? Yeah. Now he um, can start a GoFundMe to help him, you know, pay for his third yacht. And, and right. Yeah, like right. Trump sold out of those stupid fake photos and whatever and made millions the of NFTs. dollars. So like. There's money to be made there, friends. Like it just exactly. ugh, drives me crazy. Wow. Yeah. I, I so, did not look it up and will not look it up and don't, you know. So we can move on as well. Well, well, but before we move on, um, what I want to tangentially jump to is the nonsense that um Marjorie Taylor Greene has been spouting about right. we need a national mm-hmm. divorce, right? Because right. because now we're getting more and more of this um you know, back in the, back in the day, by the back in the day, I mean, I don't know what the eighties and nineties, somebody said shit like this, even though you knew it was wrong, you didn't come out and publicly agree with it. But now that everybody, now we're in a place where people feel they can do that. Right. Now we're, we're getting more and more of people taking, taking sides around this issue. And what's, what is, what is really hurtful and also like enrages me is that we know that a lot of the folks who are supporting this nonsense are doing it for the money. They're yeah. doing it to rile up political support. We, we, we saw this um, recently when, when, you know, I don't know if you guys are following the whole like Dominion lawsuit and all yeah. that. Yes, um, exactly. and, I was just and, thinking and, of that. Right. All the all the folks at Fox News who know that we're releasing emails oh, and texts. Right. were not knew that there was that that all this right. you know, election loss crap was 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 false. Um, and they're still spewing it anyways, because, you know, this is what will bring in the ratings and the money and keep our support. So there's a there's a level of disingenuousness to the people supporting this crap and. and so they're intentionally doing harm and they yeah. know it and it is it is vile and and this is what enrages me yes yeah. you know and 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 maybe marjorie taylor green actually believes it or not i don't know and i'd like to say don't care but the po- point is there yeah. are more and more people listening to her yeah. i want to believe her and i'm like to say to her okay you can't you can't determine the state is right state or blue state there's no such thing there are people of all political leanings in every state. In every state. Yes. Now this is, I mean, this is the kind of thing like a Dilbert comic strip can be one of those things where I say, I don't have the bandwidth for this. Right. Marjorie Taylor Greene, like I have to have the bandwidth for that. Yes. Because like I have to take not her seriously, but I have to take what's happening around her seriously. Yes. Because she is actually in a position that can do some real damage um already now, doing some damage <laughs> well and and there's an argument to be made that enough of these kind of things will add up to real damage quote unquote yeah. but but we also have to be careful with our energy and our time and if i yes. get genuinely bent over backwards over every one of these things i won't have the energy to actually do the fight that needs to happen for marjorie taylor green which is i think what they're counting on in some of this oh yeah absolutely yes. and it will, yes. we will exhaust ourselves and not be able to put up the fight right um, and what happens when marjorie taylor green and dilbert show up to a revival together together <laughs> a lot of clapping on one and three no, I, I mean, I think you're right, Shannon, and I, I, I've definitely been feeling that myself. Like we've got local political nonsense, 
where a conservative group took over the county party to the county just to the north of me with some really anti-democratic stuff. And people are enraged and putting so much energy into it. And I'm just like, I don't know that I can commit my life to that right now. But there's a hundred things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly one of the issues with the liberalism for, I'm not, I won't use progressive, but liberalism is that there's so much to be enraged about that we exhaust ourselves before we can actually do the work of organizing and getting together. Whereas the right doesn't have that problem. They'll (laughs) rally together. I mean, they do, they will like, cause they're like three issues, right? Like boom, boom, boom. We're good. We can, we can have abortion God. I don't. Yep. So, so it's not so much that there's just three issues. I don't think that's what it is. I think what there is is they've been able to paint these issues into a common enemy. Yeah. So it just right. feels like there's one thing, you know, the woke libs. Like if there's right. anything, if there's anything the conservatives are really good at is marketing. Let's come up with some catchphrases, create the imagined enemy, and and run with it. Right. So woke libs encompasses a whole lot of particular different issues. And, and because, and to your point, Shannon, because it's, it's a, such a nefariously vague term, then we lose sight of the real harm being done. We lose sight of all the, like the anti-trans and, and anti-gender mm-hmm. care affirming laws that are being passed in states. We lose track of all the, the, the ridiculous queer shows that are being banned while while you know for the sake of let's protect our children while you know we have case after case after case of kids getting abused at church camp like you know like it's we we lose and and i and i get what you're saying because then there's this manufactured enemy we liberals we get distracted by that and and then we don't show up to the things we get distracted by the big issue and don't show up to the little things, like the small local town elections, right. so that we can determine who gets I mean, on boards to make just, laws. Right. right. So she didn't just start out where she was. No. Because we have a we have a nuanced understanding that all people are traumatized and that we need to empathize and ignite these things. And you know, that not every person is pure evil mm. or pure good, but you know. I don't know. Maybe that's the wrong track. No further yeah, questions. Fuck, you're fuck on. empathy. <laughs> it's getting us nowhere. I've come, get, I've come full circle on this. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I just, I just, of course. Um, All right. But so- I, I always maintain it will get worse before it gets better. I always maintain it's, it's a case of three steps oh. forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. And we are, we are well in the two steps back phase right now. We are. <laughs> like, we are. I don't know. If you listen to the pre-show conversation, we may not be around to see it get better. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Three we, steps forward off the cliff. <laughs> off the cliff. Like as the world literally burns around oh, us. Geez. Oh, my goodness. All right. So in our few minutes left, I wanted to hit this um, thing about uh, Saddleback Church, big mega church, um, Rick Warren, um, purpose driven life author. That church was just kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, for having them for the reason of having (laughs) a woman preacher. Now, the Southern Baptist Convention denomination has more than 40,000 churches like how is it that this anti-women approach to church like has so much traction in 2023 because we're patriarchal misogynists like i mean (laughs) you know the same reason why racism still exists like you know it it serves the men who are held up by this standard like exactly Exactly, and and what is what is really what is really harmful is also the women that buy into it. Yeah. And, well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what you would know, you say to a, to women who are happy members of a SBC church? I there are lots of them. There are lots of them because they see, and there's so many reasons. But one of them is because. Um, this serves that they they see that 
they're taken care of in a way that they wouldn't be otherwise. And when you buy into this over and over again, over years that, you know, you, there isn't something more for you that, you know, being a wife and a mother is your true calling in life. And that's all there is. Blessed and, be the fruit. Blessed be the fruit. Um, <laughs> may the Lord open. Like it's, it's, but there's a comfort oh, in that. I'm only laughing Listen, so I don't cry. <laughs> we actually have this, Derek and I have this discussion a lot because I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. I rejected this teaching from the very fiber of my being since I was young, like six years old, I was going, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. And yet, so like, I can't say that I ever had that mindset. And yet there are times where it is just part of my DNA that like, why do other women get to be quote unquote taken care of? And mm -hmm. I don't. And like, uh, same thing on the male side, right? Like there's this provider instinct and we're trying so hard not to pass that on to our children. Cause even though neither one of us thinks this way, there is something in us that somehow the has programming, absorbed. The, the programming runs deep. It does. And I, and again, like from a young age, absolutely rejected the teachings of my church and like was it, it was an issue by the way <laughs> like mm -hmm. it was a big issue um with me growing up to the point that my mother actually said no you don't have to go to church anymore because she was tired of dealing with the like sunday school nice. teachers and the pastors wow. coming to her because of how much how much quote-unquote hell i was raising over my very simple questions and pushback right <laughs> but um but it is still like this kind of not so much complementarianism, but this kind of idea that like, well, as a woman, I'm, you know, if I wanted to work, that should be my choice or it should be blah, blah, it's bullshit. But like, there it is, right? It's, it's, or the guilt that comes with the, you know, not, yeah, you know, have being fully fulfilled because I'm a parent. Like, that's hard. That's a hard guilt, by the way, to swallow. Like, I don't know. The, uh, yeah. So, so being, being here in Barbados has been interesting because um, the patriarchy programming doesn't run just deep. Like it is on, mm -hmm. is on full display in right. so many ways. So it's like when I get together with my friends, like for the most part, I've, I've been the one that's been the voice of like, uh, here's patriarchy. It's not just make it's not just harming women it's harming us men too like yes. this is why we have to do the work to be patriarch patriarchize is that the word to, to bring down the patriarchy because it's doing us harm as well we think we're benefiting from it but but we're but we're not and and it to your point shannon in so many ways we're not conscious of how we live that out we mm -hmm. practice it in our words in our deeds in our actions and what is really hard for folks like like us is that we are trying to deprogram ourselves while it is still running right and that is so so hard to well, do yeah that's what and said. grow it and like raising children in a house where from what they see yes and experience they're not experiencing any of that but the world still functions on this level and so i don't know that i can actually protect them from oh, absorbing no, those things right like no. and so it's this and, and you know but what but what you are doing but what you so this is why this isn't happening this change isn't happening for a few generations because what you're doing is that yeah you can't protect them from the from the cultural programming but you also have just inserted like uh, uh, an anti-patriarchy virus in them by your demonstrating. Right. So, so, so as more and more that happens, generations go on, they will be less of it like directly in a parenting way. And mm -hmm. eventually that will come into cultural shifting um, as, as well. But it is, it is it's going to be a slog because it is so it is so infiltrated 
in every single thing. And the church is one of the biggest proponents um, of it for this for this reason. I remember I remember when it was here a few years ago um, for the Pride Parade and I got drugged on that radio show. Yes. And mm-hmm. and they were and they were, you know, throwing all the all the usual verses from the Bible that are, uh, you know, that are anti-homosexuality and all this right. sort of stuff. And I and I simply said, you know, here here in this circle is a woman who is an ordained pastor and, mm-hmm. and good on her. I 100 percent support that. And that is pretty anti-biblical. Right. right? So how y'all squaring that away, <laughs> you know, sort sort of deal. So so it, it it it's it's convenient to the patriarchy to to lean on the Bible, um, because you know we who who knows when the patriarchy got started, but it did, and and right. and here we go, and it's it's got a few what tens of thousands of years head start, right? Right. So 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 like what is it? The last I would say the last generation or two two generations maybe that we're aware of this as a thing and trying to speak yeah. to it and trying to shift it. So I think a lot of this is around to go back to something you said, Shannon, about our energy, our bandwidth and measuring our expectations. It's like, this is going to take a while. This thing has been going for tens of thousands of years. It's going to take a while for us to, to do our own deconstructing and decolonizing work as individuals. And then in our families, in our workplace, in our, in our churches, like try to try to explain to my denomination that is predominantly female pastors that the patriarchy still exists right. in it. No, it doesn't. Most of our pastors and congregants are women. No, that's not how it works. No. And in, and in fact, in my experience, sometimes women are the, some of the worst perpetuators of yeah. the stereotype. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that they're worse than men, but they, they are more explicit in explaining it, you know, right. than men are men, men do it more subtly. Um, it's expected. They don't need to explain it. Women like, wait, you don't understand You're, you know, I've been out of, I've been out of my role as pastor of a church for what, three months, four months. And I am unlearning. Here's the word I can't say the, the hierarchical model of patriarchy in a way that even though I have been around so many women in leadership, including my executives and, you know, things like this. And, and, and yet like having to unlearn that model and being in a place that is truly everybody's on an equal page. Nobody has, you know, nobody has more to offer because of their gender. Nobody has a certain, um, you know, the privilege over the other, at least in practice, you right. know, in our, in our firm. Um, but it is, the church is just set up that way. It, yeah. and it has for so many years that it is so hard to unlearn that internalized dialogue and that, that conversation that has to happen. Um, even at the one-on-one church level. So this is why, this is why, um, DEI programs fall short, right? Yeah. So, so there's a, a a great quote that I I posted on on my feed a little while ago, and it says, um, it says diversity asks who's at the table, equity responds by bringing attention to who's not at the table and what barriers they have to face to get a seat at the table, inclusion makes sure everyone's ideas have been heard, and a lot of folks just stop there. Justice seeks to make sure that the ideas of those in the minority are taken seriously and not just pay lip service. But true change has to come about with decolonization because decolonization asks, why was the table built in the first place? Mm -hmm. And who was it built to serve? Because unless you get to that answer and do the shifting at that level, all the programs that you put on top of the table are still going to serve the original intention of why the table was built. And a lot of people don't want to do that work because that's going to upend some shit. And the problem with white women specifically is that they think the table was built for them. Preach on it. And they don't understand that it wasn't. Yes. Right. Yes. That they that the the table was still built for them to serve. To serve. Not exactly. that they the table was built for them. 
And they like white women have a really hard time grasping that concept because there's still so much privilege in being a white woman. And so, you know, it's not the same and it's having to, this is where it's not comparative suffering, but it is having to kind of understand the differences in privilege that comes along. And this is why white women elected Trump, right? This is, this is why they made that decision. Um, because, <laughs> because they still believe that table was built for them. Yes. Yeah. So true. So true. Shouldn't drink a 9.7% beer. I'm just going to just spout out truths all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you friends for tuning into Pub Theology Live. You can show your love for the show by becoming a supporter on Patreon. Get access to pre and post show banter and more. Visit patreon.com slash PT live to get started. And a big thank you to our current patrons. Listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, and Google podcasts. Our top cities this week are Asheboro, North Carolina, Seattle, um, Washington. Sorry, I've lost my uh, little, you know, uh, state codes for a minute. Hello, what is, what does WA stand for? I was like, wow, like, wait, wow. seriously, 9.7, 9.7% and Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> um, you can watch our videos of these conversations on Facebook Live. And if you'd like to start a Pup Theology gathering in your town, find support and resources at puptheology.com. So until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing.